are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. This morning we are in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Do you hear these words from Jesus? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. So... Every single one of us here this morning, we're building a house. We're building our lives on some kind of foundation to stand on. We're all building our lives on something, whether it be a career or a family or a degree for for the students working hard towards that, or we might be building our lives on the thrill of experiences from one exciting thing to the next. Might be our bank account or building our lives on what we look like, our body image, approval of man, and it might even be our religious activity that we are building our lives on. This foundation that we build our lives on, it influences how we act and how we think and how we live. And I want to start today by asking you guys the question, what foundation are you building your life on? What foundation are you building your life on? You see, how we build our lives, it's informed on what and who we follow. And I believe that as Jesus is teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, comes to a close, he's drawing a dividing line between himself and any other foundation in life. He says the only thing worth following, the only thing worth building your life on, the only foundation that will last are these words of mine. That is, the very words of God, Christ himself. And the principle that I think Jesus wants his listeners on the hillside to know, and his listeners on the hillside here in Mount Washington to know, is this, which is our main point today. The only foundation that will remain is Christ. The only foundation that will remain is Christ. And we're going to see this through three points this morning. The solid rock, the sinking sand, in the storm. So let's look at this first point, the solid rock. So here in verse 24 and 26, Jesus says the word everyone. And this word everyone is this Greek word pas, which means everyone, right? So Jesus is saying all of the hillside, all of us here today, anyone who's ever heard or read the word of God, that this applies to you. This applies to me. None of us are exempt from these words. And Jesus, he's giving us two choices. 
He's giving us two choices to build our foundation on. His words that last or anything else that does not last. And now when Jesus says these words of mine, it's important to note that the entirety of God's holy scripture are Jesus' words. It's not just the red letters in your Bible or on your Bible app. It's all of scripture. The Gospel of John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus himself is the word of God, and he made this abundantly clear earlier in Matthew 5.17 when he said he came to fulfill the law and prophets. And in context here, in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he's referring to his words from the beginning of Matthew 5 all the way to the end of Matthew 7. These words that Jesus taught the people here on the Mount is that he taught them how to be truly blessed. Jesus taught us to be salt and light in our world. Jesus taught us not to hate because it's like murder. He taught us not to lust because it's like adultery. Jesus taught us about the sanctity of marriage. Jesus taught us to tell the truth and to keep our commitments. He taught us to turn the other cheek to someone if they harm you. Jesus taught us to love our enemies and to pray for them. Jesus taught us how to give and pray and fast with the right motivation and right heart posture. Jesus taught us to store up treasures in heaven rather than on earth. He taught us not to worry about anything, trusting that we are God's children whom he loves. Jesus taught us not to judge others according to our standards. He told us to ask, seek, and knock on our Father's door because he gives us good things. Jesus taught that whatever we wish others would do to us, do also to them. Jesus taught us to take the narrow and difficult road because it leads to life and to watch out for false teachers who want you to be on the wide and easy road because that leads to destruction. These are Jesus' words, and now he's saying you've heard these words of mine. You've heard what it means to live as a Christian, what it means to follow me, and so now it's your move. He's saying it is your move now. What foundation are you building your life on? Would you look with me in verse 24? Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus says to be wise is to hear his words and to do them. It's to follow them. It's hearing and doing. The apostle James, Jesus' half-brother, he says it this way. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So James says, when you hear the word, when you're saved by grace in Christ, the only proper response is to obey it. It's to do what it says. And hearing and doing, it's not anything new to us, right? We assume people hear us and are listening to us based on the response that they give us. For example, when I pull through the Wendy's drive-thru at 10 o'clock at night, don't judge me, in order, and I'm just desperate for a Baconator with no mayo, how do I know that they listen to me 
when I ordered. But when I get home and open up my burger and go to take a bite, there's mayo on it. And yes, I throw a little tantrum, but there it's apparent that they weren't listening. The idea here is that listening means responding to what was heard with appropriate action. It's responding to what was heard with appropriate action. This is what God has been calling his people to all along. Did you guys know that there was no Hebrew word for obey in the Old Testament? The word for hear and listen was actually the same word that was used to obey God, and it's this Hebrew word, shema. In Deuteronomy, Moses said, hear or shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In Exodus 19, God says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey, or shema, my voice and keep my covenant, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. To be wise is to hear and obey God's word. It's not either or, it's both and. Now some of you might be like, yo, Luke, hold on one second. Sounds an awful lot like what you're saying and what Jesus is saying is that I'm saved by my works. That I'm saved by how well I obey God's word. I mean, didn't Paul say in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And when I say yes, yes, Paul, Paul is right. Paul is right that it is through grace alone that we are saved. We could not ever work enough to earn salvation in Jesus, but I want you to hear this morning, the elders want you guys to hear that Jesus, he is not against obedience and good works. Jesus is for obedience to the Father's words. Jesus is for us walking in good works that have already been prepared for us. But what we've been learning throughout Jesus' whole sermon here is that he's against obedience and good works for the wrong reasons. Reasons that try to earn our salvation by saying, look what I've achieved. Look what I've done. Look how great I am. Lord, Lord, look at all these things that I've done. Jesus teaches us we're saved by grace alone through faith. And that's beautiful news, right? The gospel says we're accepted, therefore we obey. Not we obey, therefore we're accepted. God accepts us on behalf of Christ's finished work, amen? But this means that genuine faith in Christ produces transformed hearts that now want to obey God's word. Just like Pastor Rob said last week, good fruit doesn't give health to a tree, it just reveals that the tree is what? Healthy. Our obedience, it reveals that we're people who have been transformed by grace. James goes on to say, Faith without works is dead because he's saying obedience, it reveals that we are actually people who are saved. Actually people who are transformed by God's word. And Jesus, he says, when you hear this good news, when you believe these words of mine and obey them, you're like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Does anybody here have any experience or know much about building houses? Show of hands. We got two people, that's great. 
It's wonderful for you guys. I don't know anything about building houses. My experience, the extent of my experience is that I really used to really like building card houses. It used multiple decks. Anybody else here ever into that? Might be into that now. Okay, yeah, a few, right. Building card houses, and I would, I'd spend all this time building these elaborate card houses only to watch them, watch them crash down when our dog would run into my bedroom and knock them over, or when I'd breathe too heavy when I'm building them, as you guys can kind of hear on the microphone right now. But they'd crash because they didn't have a strong foundation to stand on. They're just flimsy cards. And Jesus, he tells us that that is what it's like to build on sand, not on rock. So Jesus, he's teaching on the mountainside here, and it's overlooking the Sea of Galilee. He's teaching people that are familiar with the area, that, that know the land, that know the shores. And so these people know that in the summer months at the Sea of Galilee, the sands there are solid on the surface. The sands at the Sea of Galilee over the summer, they're solid. It means it would be an easy and quick build to construct your house. Even though it would be tempting and easy to do this, the wise builders knew not to build on the sand because every year there, the heavy winter rains and floods would come and the Jordan River, it would overflow into the sea. In the sand, it would become a flimsy foundation, much like the card house. And what would happen? The storms, they would sweep the house away. Jesus, he's saying, building on the rock, it gives your home, it gives your life a strong foundation that remains. It's constant. This is why in Luke chapter 6, 48, Jesus says, those who hear and do his words are like the wise man who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. They dug deep. Wise builders would sometimes dig deeper than 10 feet below the surface in order to hit bedrock. And this bedrock, it's deep down in the surface, it was such a strong, firm foundation that it'd be able to withstand the storms when they would come. And these men, Jesus is saying, are wise because their houses would last. And I wonder, church, are we digging deep in this way? Are we letting the Lord dig deep into our hearts to change us and, and make us like him? Are we putting in the work like these builders who dug deep to say, Jesus, I want you to change me from the inside out? And the thing, the thing about these houses is they wouldn't withstand the storm because of the builder's skill or because of the aesthetics of their house. Not because of how much crate and barrel or hearth and harvest they would have in their kitchens or living rooms, but it's because it's the foundation that they stood on. And Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus, he wants you to hear today that if the foundation you build your life on is Christ, the solid rock, then you too will not pass away. In the Old Testament, the Lord, he was metaphorically depicted as the rock of his people. In Psalm 18, the psalmist says, The Lord is my rock 
my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is pure. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord and who is a rock? First Samuel chapter 2, Hannah prays to the Lord and she says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Deuteronomy 32, talking about the false gods of Israel's enemies, it says, For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. Jesus, he says, to obey these words, to hear his words and to obey them, is like standing on the rock because his words, he himself, is this rock. So what does that look like then to obey his words? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus, he's talking to his disciples and he asks them, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus, he gives Simon Barjona a new name, and the name he gives him is Peter. Peter, it means rock. And Jesus says that on this rock he will build his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what Jesus is saying here that Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the foundation that all of his disciples will stand on. Jesus is saying that this confession that he is Lord is the rock that we will stand on, his church from the beginning of time all the way through the end. The solid rock of Christ is confessing that he is Lord. This is what it looks like to to obey his words. This is what it looks like to have a firm foundation. In Ephesians 2, Paul goes on to say that those who hear and obey these words, those that confess Jesus as Christ, they share Peter's confession. They're fellow citizens and saints of God's household. He says that they're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and him in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus Christ, he is the firm foundation. He is the solid rock. Nobody else can put down any other foundation for his church. There is no other teaching, no other foundation that stands. Put another way, the church, it won't stand on any other foundation besides Jesus. The gospel, this good news from God about salvation from sin, it starts and it ends with faith in Jesus. Nothing can be added to this or taken away from it or else it stops being the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. Church, what foundation are you building your life on? Will you hear Jesus' words and obey like the wise man who builds on the solid rock, or you be like the foolish man who hears his words and does not listen. 
Which brings us to our second point, the sinking sand. Would you look with me in verse 26 here? <clears throat> Jesus says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now there's a sobering contrast here between these verses. Jesus went from calling the man who hears his words and does them, he called him wise, to now calling the man who hears his words and does not do them foolish. This word foolish here, it's the Greek word moros, which is the root word for, can anybody guess? Moron. A lot of people excited to say that. Uh, It's the root word for our English word moron. So Jesus, he's using strong language here. And he's doing this church because he loves us. He's using strong language because he loves us. And he says, to build your house on sand is foolishness. It's stupid. Do not do this. Do not do this. I mean, it'd be like getting on the Phantom's Revenge roller coaster at Kennywood. And when you get ready to go up the big hill, you say, you know what? I don't need the harness. I'm good. I'll be safe. I mean, that's foolish, right? That's a death wish because when the storm comes, a house built on sand will fall. I was at the beach this summer and we stayed in a house that's part of a new housing development where pretty much every single house looked exactly the same. I'm sure most of you know those kind of developments. Some of you might even live in those. But the alarming thing from this story here is that there are a lot of key similarities between the builders and the houses. Both builders, they hear the words of Christ. Both builders hear his words, and after they hear the words, what do they do? They both proceed to actually build houses. They're both doing something after they hear these words of Christ. The builders, they even build their houses in the same area, same neighborhood. How do we know that? Well, the same storm, it hits both of these houses. They could even be neighbors. On the surface, these houses appear to be the same. These builders are people who have been exposed to God's word, and they even may be part of his church. Maybe they gather regularly on Sunday with the saints and sit under gospel preaching week in and week out. They might even serve on a serve team, participate in community group, be in discipleship groups, read Christian books. They might have even gone to seminary and have masters in theology and MDiv. You could say they built a house consistent with the tract houses of a Christian development. It looks like all the other Christian houses on the outside. They do all the things that would make them and their house look good from the ground up. And this is just like the Pharisees that Jesus has been teaching in contrast to. This is external religious good. You can't really tell the difference on the surface. The one who builds on the sand, they might serve and they might pray and they might occasionally fast and give money and work within the framework of the Christian life, but they don't do it with a heart that is joyfully serving God. They do it to enhance their reputation. They do it to feel good about themselves. They do it to prove that they are righteous and they are holy. It's the religion of externals, church. 
It's what Jesus is bucked up against throughout his whole teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Those who hear his words and obey are those who are changed from the inside out, not just modifying your behavior, not just going through the motions. Later in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, with outwardly appear, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and un, all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The outside, it looked beautiful. It looked put together, it looked wonderful. But the foundation, church, was full of death. Isaiah 29, the Lord says, People draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. It's a Christmas movie called Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Some of you might be familiar with it, but throughout the whole movie, he's trying to find his son, this action figure uh, called Turbo Man. And he's doing everything he can to find this action figure, and he finally finds it, and he's so excited because he thinks he's going to be able to give it to his son. And when he sees Turbo Man in the box, on the outside of the box, Turbo Man looks legit. He looks official. Looks authentic. But he opens up the box, Turbo Man falls apart. Wasn't even put together to begin with. Jesus is saying the Pharisees, the foolish, they're much like the solid sands of summer at the Sea of Galilee. Looks good on the surface, but death is beneath it. Now, unlike the wise builders, they were keen to building their house on the rock. The fool looks at the sand and says, this will do. Looks good. Why? Well, I think it's because you don't have to do much. You don't have to put in any hard work. You don't have to dig deep. You just start building. You don't have to prepare the site. You don't have to set the footings. You don't have to put in the foundation you don't have to lay the concrete slab. It's easy to build on sand. You just throw the house up. Right, Logan? That's how you build houses. You just throw them up. If we're honest, we can be like the foolish builder, right? I mean, who doesn't like when things are easy? Show of hands, who likes it when things are easy? I mean, the majority of the time that my family eats at restaurants is not because the food is so much better. It's because prep and cleanup is significantly easier. Can I get an amen? So when I ask the question, what foundation are you building your life on? Is it one of ease and convenience? Is it one that you don't have to put in any work, any of the deep digging heart work to be changed to become more like Christ? I mean, what does this sound like to you guys? To me, it sounds a lot like the wide and easy road that Jesus warned us about, does it not? He said, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. I mean, that is the life the false teachers, the Pharisees beckoned people to follow it. They said, don't murder, you'll be fine. Don't commit adultery, and you'll be fine. When someone sins against you, just go ahead and repay them evil for evil. 
give and pray and fast in a way that's going to make you look good, that's going to benefit you in your life. Lay up earthly treasures and earthly pleasures because that's what lasts, that's what matters. Only do to others what they do to you. I mean, church, this is an easy, external, superficial life. It's a Christian housing development life that's built on sand. Jesus, he says, you're foolish if you do this. You are foolish if you build this way. These are Jesus' words, church, not mine. You see, Jesus, he's not interested in whitewashed tomb lives like the Pharisees. He doesn't want a house that looks good in appearance but is actually crumbling beneath the surface. And I wonder, do any of you feel like that today? Do you feel like you have to always have this put-together appearance that everything is fine and you're just crushing it as a Christian? That you're doing so great while really you feel like you are crumbling inside? Because in reality, you're building your foundation on anything but the solid rock. It is Christ. Jesus. So what is it for you, church? What foundation are you building your life on? Your relationship status? Is it what others think of you? Is it your intellect that you know so much better than God? Is it control? Is it your physical well-being? Is it your mental health. If only these things were solid, if only these things remained solid, then I'd be good. Then I wouldn't crumble. Jesus, from the beginning of Matthew 5 to the end of Matthew 7, says that the heart of the matter here is the matter of the heart. Jesus, church, he wants our heart. And from this heart change comes obedience. Doesn't just come the external. Jesus, he calls his disciples to be different. To be radically different. Not like the religious establishment, but an internal change that produces outward outward fruit. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to live this way, but I say you should live this way. He says, if you have one thought of hatred in your heart for another, that's murder. If you have one lustful thought or gaze of another that's not your spouse, that's adultery. If someone sins against you, don't retaliate, but turn the other cheek. You're not to give and pray and fast in a way that's to please man, but you're to have the right motivation from your heart that wants to joyfully serve God because of the way Christ joyfully served you. You're to lay up heavenly treasures that will last, not to worry about what you think you need because God gives you all that you need when you need it. You're not to love others because of how they love you. You're to love others as you wish they'd love you. You see, Jesus, church, he wants hearts that are fully his from the inside out. He does not want hearts that just give lip service. In this way of living, it's counter cultural to those who build on sand, is it not? It's radical living that takes deep, deep digging. Jesus' words call us to the narrow and difficult road, but it is the road 
that leads to life. So church, what foundation, what foundation are you building your life on? Is it the solid rock or is it the sinking sand? Because Jesus says there is a storm coming. Which brings us to our final point, the storm. Look with me at verse 25 and 27. They should both be up there. So in verse 25, Jesus says, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And then in verse 27, he says, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. What do you guys notice here? For one, we see that both houses are hit with a storm. Yet there are two different results. Both houses are hit with a storm. That's right. Even the wise who hear Jesus' words and obey them, the storm still beats on them the same as it does for the foolish who hear Jesus' words and don't obey If you recall Jesus' words back in Matthew 5 when he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus says, when you build your life on him, there will be persecution. There will be suffering. Others will hate you, not because they hate you, but because they hate me. And some of you might relate to that. Some of you, whether it's through your jobs or relationships with family or friends, may be put out because of your faith in Christ. May be persecuted. And I want to encourage you this morning to stand firm, if that's you, on the solid rock. Because of the way sin fractured man's relationship with God, the storms of life are many, right? Their story after story of sickness and sadness throughout Scripture. There's even a book called Lamentations. I mean, the Psalms, they're littered with songs and cries such as, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Sickness, sadness, hurt, heartache. Church, some of us may be feeling like the rain is falling and the floods are coming and the winds are blowing and they're just beating us day in and day out. And you may be wondering, why? Why, God? When will this stop? I cannot take much more of this. My body, it's giving way. My mind is spinning over and over. I cannot go another day feeling like this. Make it stop. My brother, my sister, if that's you, I want you to hear that your elders, that your church family love you and we are here for you. It's a joy to bear your burdens with you. So please, please don't hesitate to come to us. But even more than that, I want you to hear that your Savior Jesus, he hears you this morning. Jesus knows you. You are not alone. Whatever storms of life is just 
beating you over and over again. He sees you and he knows you and he's inviting you this morning to come to him to find rest. To trust him, to find peace in him. He's inviting you to build your foundation of your life on him. When the storms of life come, it reveals what we are staking our hope in, does it not? And Jesus, he's saying, what foundation are you building your life on? What's exposed in your heart when a storm comes? What does the storm expose in our heart when it hits us? Does the storm reveal that your foundation is on the solid rock in Christ? Or when the storm comes, does it reveal that your false peace and your false hope are washing away like a foundation that's built on sinking sand? Church, what if when when these storms come, we stopped trying to weather them? What if we started to let them expose our hearts? What if we started to let them expose our foundations, where we run to for security, where we run to for peace when the hardship hits us and the wind blows us one direction to the next? James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. <clears throat> you see, church, and this is important, this is important, as difficult as it is when we face the storms of today, and I know there are many, and I know I can't begin to imagine what everyone in this room goes through in one way or, the no- or another. As difficult as it is when we face the storms of today, it's because God is so gracious and so loving that he wants our self-deception and cheap building to be revealed and exposed now. I want to say that again. God is so gracious and loving that he wants our self-deception and cheap building to be revealed and exposed now in this church is because there's an even greater storm that's to come. And our loving God, he doesn't want us to be swept away with the storm. Our loving, our gracious, our patient, our gentle Father does not want us swept away. He wants us to turn to him. He wants us to repent and say, Lord, we are building our foundation on everything but you. How gracious is God that he wants to reveal the the storms of life now so that he can save us from the storm that's to come. Many commentators and theologians believe that the storm Jesus is talking about here, it's not less than the storms of life, but it is more than just the trials and the difficulties that we go through. It's when Christ will return to judge all things. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus will return and he will judge all things justly. Now this imagery Jesus uses here, In this Jewish biblical context, they're in line with Old Testament scripture that indicates God's divine wrath. 
In Ezekiel, we see false prophets reassure people that there is peace when there actually was no peace. And God declares that judgment for sin will come as a storm does. He says, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger, and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So the church, there's a final, coming, final judgment coming. It's one where Jesus is going to separate the good from the evil. Jesus is going to separate those who hear his words and obey and those who hear his words and don't obey. A couple of weeks ago, I got an alert on my phone. I'm sure a lot of you in here did as well for a tornado warning. <clears throat> Anybody else get that? Yeah, a lot of nods, right? Now, tornado warning in Pitts Pittsburgh is pretty unexpected. It's not the norm considering the layout of our city in the geography here. So it's fair we assume we're good. We wouldn't have to worry about this type of storm. Yet the tornado warning came. Now the purpose of this warning was to protect people. It was to guard our lives. It was to say, hey, it's not safe. It's a call to action. There's a storm, storm coming. Do something about it. Listen to this warning and take shelter. Because the reality is, when the storm of judgment comes, we cannot stand on our own. And Jesus, church, Jesus, he knew this. Jesus says that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And to do that comes through perfectly obeying the word of God. How many in here have perfectly obeyed God's word? Lord knows I certainly have not. Jesus, he says, obedience to the word of God, it distinguishes the wise from the foolish. In church, Jesus, he knew that we would be like the foolish builder who hears his words and disobeys. That we'd hear false teaching and take the easy and wide gate that leads to destruction. When God created our first parents, Adam and Eve, they had a perfect relationship with him. They heard his words, they obeyed him, but then one day the true wolf in disguise, the master of deception, Satan, he said to Eve, you heard God say this, you should actually do this instead. Is that not familiar to us today? And what did Eve do? She took the easy road. She chose to turn her back on the words of God, on the solid rock, and she chose to build her life on sinking sand. And church, we're no different. I'm no different than that. We too have exchanged our worship and our obedience of our creator God for the worship and obedience of anything else other than Jesus. We've built the foundation for our lives on sand that will wash away. And this morning, church, Jesus, he wants you to start building on him again. He wants you to stand on the solid rock. And like Adam and Eve, you see, Jesus, he too was tempted by the devil in the exact same way. 
Satan tempted Jesus to disobey God and seek the easy way for himself. But unlike our first parents, unlike us, Jesus refused to obey any words but God's alone. And how did Jesus withstand Satan's temptations to build on the sand? With the very word of God, where Jesus says, it is written. Jesus, he obeyed his father's words. In John, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus, he perfectly obeys God's words. We often love anything but the father, but Jesus, he perfectly loved the father. You see, Jesus, church, he endured the storms of life when he was put out by those who were closest to him. When Jesus was persecuted and mocked and ridiculed, when he was betrayed by the love of money, Jesus, the solid rock, he did not retaliate. What did he do? He turned the other cheek because Jesus' treasures were not fixed on this earth, but fixed on the kingdom of heaven. And when others didn't just hate Jesus in their hearts, but actually sent him to be murdered, what did Jesus do? He perfectly loved his enemies and he prayed for them, crying out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus obeyed the words of God to the point of death, even death on a cross. First Peter, talking about Jesus, says he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus, church, he died to save sinners. Do you understand that? Do I understand that? Do I understand that I'm a sinner? He died for you. He says, turn to me, repent of your sins, believe in me, and you'll be saved, and you'll be standing on a solid rock that does not give way. Church, Jesus, he's being so compassionate to us this morning. He's being so compassionate to us by warning us to stop building on sinking sand. He's being so loving to us because if we don't, Jesus says, on the last day, the rain will fall and the floods will come and the winds will blow and beat against your house and your house, your life, it'll fall. And great will be the fall of it, he says. Church, Jesus, he's the solid rock that withstands the storms of God's wrath and just judgment on sinners like us so that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. Amen? And now you might be thinking, and some of you might even be worrying, what, is, what does this mean? Does this mean I'm not a Christian? How can, how can I keep hearing and obeying God's word when I keep sinning? If that's you this morning, I want you to remember the confession of Peter. Because that is what we stand on. That is the solid rock, is saying, you, Jesus, are the Christ, son of the living God. Tim Keller says, 
A Christian is somebody who says, Father, my repentance is half-hearted. My affection for you is cold. My obedience is never more than halfway there at the most. I fail again and again and again, but your son died for me. Your son died my death, lived the life I owed, paid my penalty, and welcomed me for his sake. Church, the first step to obeying the Sermon on the Mount is realizing that we can't. We cannot obey Jesus' words. And this is why Jesus started his sermon with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because to be poor in spirit, it's to count our efforts is lost. It's to count our efforts as inadequate and realize that we have been saved strictly and completely by the grace of God alone in Jesus. Then and only then is our house built upon the rock, the only foundation that will last as Christ himself is. Thank you.